Good morning. I'm excited to preach this morning. I, uh, I, some of you that know me really well probably would say, well, you're excited to do just about anything, Gary, but I am, uh, I am excited to preach this morning. I love the subject of baptism. I love, uh, I love it. I love it. I love that we have symbols. Um, I love infant baptism. I love adult believers baptism, as some people call it. And uh, I am grateful that we're still talking about John the Baptist. I wish I had a a robe of camel's hair or, and, and, and ate honey and locusts. That would be kind of cool. Um, he seems, John seems like an amazing guy. I, um, and I'm grateful that we remember John as this precursor, this, this wild man in the desert, um, baptizing all of Judea. This morning in Acts, uh, Acts 19, and in Mark, the Gospel of Mark, we hear uh, something that should cause some of us or most of us to scratch our heads. There are two baptisms, apparently. There are two baptisms. There's John's baptism of repentance, right? We heard those exact words in Scripture. And then Jesus is going to baptize, John says. But his baptism is going to be of the Holy Spirit or with the Holy Spirit. So two baptisms. Wait a minute. Two baptisms. What's that mean? Well, John's baptism, his baptism of repentance that we heard about this morning was something that had been going on for the people of Israel for quite a while. It was something they did as a ritualistic cleansing. And it was the way for Gentiles to be admitted into the Jewish faith. So if you're a Gentile, if you're not a believer in Israel, if you're not a believer in the one true God, then in order to make your way into the faith, you had to be baptized. But that's not exactly what John's doing. John's taking an old model and putting a twist on it. And this causes problems. You see, John is standing there in the midst of everyone, the Gentiles, the Jews, and the religious leaders, and he's saying, everybody needs to be baptized. Well, if I was a proud clergyman standing there with my matching cross and phylacteries, I would have said, like they did, what do you mean, everyone? Everyone needs to be baptized, John? Are you sure? And John doesn't stop there. John says, not only do you need to be baptized, but this isn't the baptism that's really going to matter. There's the Messiah who's coming after me, and he's going to do the real thing. And they would have said once again, what are you saying, John? What are you talking about? What do you mean everyone needs to be baptized? And what do you mean the Messiah is coming? We've been waiting 300 years. Are you telling me he's here? And John says, as we heard last week, he's in our midst. He's in our midst. You see, because what John knew was that when Jesus submitted to his baptism, he was uniting himself in baptism with us so that, here's the catch, we can be united with him in his death and resurrection. We're united to him in the baptism because him submitting, but we're also, more importantly, united to him in his death and resurrection. You see, by submitting to this baptism of John, Jesus is identifying himself with sinners in order that in due time he can bring about the forgiveness of sins to which John's baptism pointed. That's what John's baptism was. It was a precursor. It was a preparatory rite, if you, if you will. It, it pointed to the possibility of forgiveness or with a view toward forgiveness, but John's baptism didn't provide forgiveness. It was pointing to that. And it always, always, always had at its core the promises of the Old Testament, John wasn't doing something brand new. John was doing something that linked him to the entirety of Scripture, to the entirety of the promises of God. Ezekiel 36, 
verses 25. These, these folks would have known it like we know catchy tunes today, like we can remember words to songs. Most of the people there would have remembered this. Ezekiel 36, I will sprinkle clean water on you, God says. I will sprinkle clean water on you, baptism, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. Here's one we all probably know. I will give you a new heart. I will put a new spirit in you, Jesus' baptism. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you and you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees. The law hadn't worked. The people of Israel were not able to keep the law. God promises in Ezekiel that one day he will make it so. And he will do that by putting his spirit in the people. It's a mysterious transaction of baptism. The mysterious transaction of baptism. And I'll get to that in a second, but let me list the similarities in both of the baptisms. Because again, there's John's baptism of repentance, and there's Jesus' baptism of the Holy Spirit. Several things are similar. One is remarkably different. Both are gifts that God initiates. God sent John to proclaim the word. God sends Jesus to the earth to submit to this baptism. Both God initiated. Both are something that God does. We just show up. If I ever write a book one day, if I ever write a book, that's going to be the title, I just showed up. I haven't done anything. Tyler's prayer this morning was dead on. If I stand up here and talk about anything that matters to me, you, you need, we need to hear from the Lord. It's, it needs to be something that God does. Um, both baptisms, finally, should produce a change. A baptism of repentance and certainly the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Tyler said last week in his sermon that Christmas changes everything. Tyler said Christmas changes everything. Well, I'll submit to you this morning that so does baptism. It changes everything, whether we know it or not. You see, when we're baptized today, we physically or symbolically go down into the waters of baptism in death with Jesus, and then we're raised to new life with him as he comes up out of the Jordan. It's a two-part movement. I had a gunny sergeant in the military, and everything for him was a two-, three-, or four-part movement. Whether you were opening doors, changing things in your room, or saluting. Saluting was a two-part movement. So baptism, two-part movement. You go down, and you come back up. We go down in death. We're raised to new life in Christ. Now the one glaring difference, and you may have heard it this morning in the Acts reading, the one glaring difference is that Jesus' baptism, unlike John, leaves some kind of indelible mark on us. It marks us somehow. Mysteriously, it does. The mark at that baptism in Acts was that people spoke in tongues. But it marks us. It shapes our life. One commentator I read of many this week said, the Christian life is the baptized life, dying and rising with Jesus in this world today and in the hereafter. And I believe, like Tyler said last week, that fact alone ought to make us different. There's an Anglican cathedral I read about this week as I was looking at baptism. It's in Geraldtown, Australia. Geraldtown, Australia. Anglican Cathedral, you can Google that or ask me later and I'll give you the exact link. But beautiful church, looked at it. I went there for one reason. Their baptismal font, when they baptize people, like we'll do today, the font will be up here. But in Geraldtown, the font is in the middle of the aisle as you make your way toward the altar, the middle of the aisle, right in the center of the church, and it's in the shape of a coffin. You ought to gasp. <laughs> it's in the shape of a coffin. 
to symbolize two things. We die. We, our old self dies right there at baptism. And we do that in the midst of the church. We're doing that right in the center of the community. So why do we do it? Well, now I can use my alpha training and peel off several reasons why we baptize. Well, we do it because it's accounted in all four Gospels, so it must be important. If all four of the evangelists felt like they needed to put that in their Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we, we should do it if it's, if it's been recorded four times. Jesus tells us to do it. Right up there on the wall behind me, Matthew 28, Jesus said, do this. Um, thirdly, it's an outward and visible sign of an inward change. And it's one of the two sacraments of the gospel. Jesus gets baptized and Jesus has the Passover meal. One of the two sacraments found in the gospels. Uh, and finally, and I like this one the best actually, we renounce the devil. The devil, we renounce the devil in baptism. The devil's here. The devil's not here, hopefully. The devil's out there somewhere. But we actually say, like crazy people, we want the devil to go away. We want the devil to be out of our lives. And so we turn from this life that we formerly had, even if we're infants, and we move now and play now by a different set of rules. Baptism, you see, shifts our allegiance. We no longer pledge allegiance to the rules and game of this world. Certain things ought to really irritate us. It irritates me that the commissioner of football, I'm not beating up football, makes $44 million a year, and one of the players who played 16 years makes $400 a month in retirement. That irritates me. That's greedy. That's greedy. We, we say no. We say no to the way the world works, and we then are bearers of different needs. We have different needs. We don't have the same needs of the world, the same goals, the same satisfactions. We should be different. But I submit to you the real difference is actually in our wills, W-I-L-L-S, in our wills, whether we act on them or not. Once Jesus comes into our hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit, we no longer default to ourselves. We no longer default to ourselves. Our selfishness and self-centeredness begins to have competition, doesn't it? There's something inside of us. That competition is Jesus' perfect will coming up against our will. Um, John Calvin called it the third use of the law. It's this conviction that occurs in our hearts when we're about to sin. It supposedly, according to Calvin, turns us from sin. Not always, not always, but sometimes. One of my favorite songs from a few years back was by a group uh, called Brand New. They're not a Christian group. Uh, Brand New. And the song was called Jesus Christ, and it was really a cool song. It was about what did you do the three days you were dead. And um, the person singing the song was actually thinking about taking their own life. And so it's this really cool juxtaposition about dying. The name of the album, for the point of the sermon, is The Devil and God Are Raging Inside Me. The Devil and God Are Raging Inside Me. And I believe the title of that album speaks to this conflict that exists in our interior until we're made whole that one day when we meet Jesus. Therefore, I believe this thing called conversion, which we talk about at baptism, is really a process. It's not just a single moment in time when those children today get baptized. It won't be the moment they were converted. It will be the moment that they began the process of conversion. And it won't be completed again, like I said, until they are standing in the presence of Jesus. That's why I'm okay with infant baptism. You see, it marks the starting point. It says to the community, it says to the parents, we want the child to go this way. We want the child to play by these rules. 
living in constant tension as saint and sinner, living with, as that group said, the devil and God raging inside me. Or as Paul would say, if Paul were here, you have been saved and you are being saved. So nothing is complete in our life until the day that we meet Christ face to face. So here's what that reality looks like in my life. I go to the bank, I make a deposit, I ask for some extra cash to take. I get to the parking lot and discover they've given me 10 more dollars than I I had written on the slip. It was a mistake of a teller. And I stand there and I look at the big sign of the bank and I think, well, their stock's trading at about $40 a share. They're not going to miss 10 bucks. I just get in my car and go home. No, no, take the $10 back, Gary. Or, and this is the truth, I got in an accident coming to St. Paul's last year in my car and I was listening to my iPod on earbuds driving in a blizzard. And the first thing that happened when I lost control of the car and another car hit me, nobody was hurt. Uh, was that I said inside me, my voice said, ooh, quick, stuff the earbuds in your backpack so that when the police come, they won't know you were doing that. You don't want to be at fault. And I'm telling you what, it didn't take that long for me to go, oh, please. Even if they take my driver's license away, I'm not going to lie about these stupid earbuds. It's this tension that makes us want to do one thing, and yet the Spirit of God living in us is pulling us the other way. It's not that dumb animal house thing with an angel on one shoulder and a devil on the other. It's not at all. It's better than that. It's, it's, the, it's the power of the living God in you that pulls against the flesh, that pulls against our flesh. So I hope at the end of this, we all leave convicted um, that our baptism means something and meant something. We are different. Whether we see it all the time or realize it all the time, we are different. Because like I've said, the baptism Jesus presents, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, is his permanent presence in our lives. It's first in Christ and then in us. It's the good news and the bad news. It makes life more purposeful and more fulfilled. It also makes life harder. And this baptism, like I said earlier, shifts our allegiance from this world and its evil and corrupt powers um, to one that has different needs. No longer my needs, but the needs of those around me. No longer my goals, but the goals of God and his kingdom. And ultimately, no longer a life that seeks personal satisfaction. That's the hardest one for me to say because I love being personally satisfied. But it's a life like Jesus that longs to do the will of the creator father. I'm doing well with time, so I'm going to close with a story and then I'm going to read you this author's take on what it looked like to be there the day Jesus was baptized. We'll do both of those in just a couple minutes. So, I was in the Alpha course uh, last fall. A young couple came, husband and wife. Uh, he had grown up in a faith, a denomination that, that stood firmly on believers' baptism, which meant they wouldn't baptize infants. They would only baptize people when they claimed Christ as their Savior publicly. Fine. I think it's great. Uh, he came to Alpha and was very quiet. And we went through three or four weeks. We got to the Holy Spirit weekend. He looked at uh, me at a campfire and said, I want to be baptized tomorrow in the ocean. Because we put that out there week after week, you know. If you come to Alpha and you want to do the Holy Spirit weekend, I see a couple people that were there, so they remember. Uh, this young man uh, got baptized in the Atlantic Ocean. And I, I got his permission to tell this. He uh, came up out of the water. His wife was his sponsor and witness. It was glorious. And he took his first communion that, that Saturday on the beach there. And he had been coming up previously and just getting a blessing here at the rail. So this was his first communion as a 30-something adult. It was amazing. And I did what Billy Graham, I, I, I started off right. I did what Billy Graham says you should do with people when they've had a conversion experience, and that is encourage them to tell somebody. So I said to him, hey, we should start getting together and studying God's word. Guess what, you know, 
clergy now. I've got all the right answers, so let's do that. He said, great, I'd love to. Two and a half months later, we met for the first time Friday at my house. Just this last Friday, I confess, I, I bombed. I saw him, I kept saying, yeah, let's do it, and I never could get my schedules to work. So anyway, we meet last Friday in my study in my house, this young man and I. And I sit down with a coffee, and he sits down with coffee, and we close the door, and I say to him, so, how's your life been since the baptism? This was at quarter to 8 a.m. And out of his mouth came a two-hour flood of, you won't believe what my life is like. It's, he was like a blind person who got the vision for the first time ever, and he couldn't, he couldn't stop telling me how much different his life was. The way he looks at his relationship with his wife, the way he interacts with his parents and her parents, the way he does his business. I mean, he, he didn't shut up. I was there, I was sat there and I thought, oh my gosh, I should have done this a long time. I mean, I, I had an hour blocked off and it was getting close to 11 and he was still talking about how different his life had been. He needed to tell somebody. But what he would have said to anybody that asked is, my life is unimaginably different. My life is unimaginably different. That's what baptism does, folks. So this is what this author's take on the Lord's baptism looked like. Uh, it's not long. We heard about it in today's gospel. Jesus comes to the Jordan. John's standing there baptizing everybody. Remember, John says this baptism is for everybody. So John stepped out as well to meet the colors and fragrance of the day and the play of beams and light shafts shifting through the clouds. Across the way, the Nazarene, and that's Jesus, was sitting in his usual place. John gave welcome to all. He descended to the water and led them in his morning prayer, the same as he had spoke every Sabbath morning. When he finished, all the new pilgrims stood and started down toward the water to be baptized, the Nazarene, Jesus, among them. Several of the disciples, including Andrew, took note, and as they had been making sure that those who had been waiting longest came first, the Nazarene had been there a while, it was true, but as yet he had offered no confession to any of the disciples or expressed any repentance. Remember, John's baptism is a baptism of repentance. The only given price of John's baptism. John knew this as well, and yet he did not move to stop him. In fact, even as the other disciples looked to John to see if they should intercede, he was opening his hand to Jesus and asking others to make way. He took him first. Andrew looked at Jesus more closely now. Again, there was nothing remarkable in his outward appearance. His hair was parted in the middle, the hue of, his unri the hue of an unripe hazelnut. It fell straight down to his ears, then flowed to his shoulders. His brow was smooth, his face showed no blemish or furrow, and there was blush in his cheek, half hidden by a beard, the same color as his hair, and slightly forked just beneath his chin. But then as he passed, Andrew met his eyes, which were a light gray, glancing and clear, and which, with the sunlight glinting up from the water, seemed almost to be lit from within. More... They conveyed to the young disciple an expression the like of which he had never seen before, born from a place beyond all joy and sorrow. Jesus stepped into the water now, reaching out his hand to John and speaking to him as kin, dahade, he said, which means cousin. They exchanged words. Andrew could not hear them. Then John baptized Jesus as he had so many others before, only with a difference. He raised his hand and he spoke the name of life upon him, and he called out his blessing, but this time in the tongue that he had reserved for his most private prayer, the one that only the Suba and the Darwish could understand. Yet never had the power of John's words been so clear, 
For as his voice rang out, the distant clouds did seem to part in answer and to let the sun peer through and see. As John lowered Jesus down into the water, the reflected colors seemed to shatter, to multiply, and to deepen. Andrew was aware of how the fragrances of the valley, all the locust and echinus flowers, seemed to release themselves anew. John lowered him once again and then again. He pressed his thumb against Jesus' head and kissed him there. Then a third time he lowered him down. The water gathered around him and swirled, luminescent, and when Jesus arose the final time, the sun, peering through its keyhole, seemed to hold him in its grasp. He stood before them all like a beam of pure light, but none along the shore moved to shield their eyes. Some exclaimed. Even the birds let out with song, and Andrew saw one, a dove, fly over with its wings outspread, curling above John and Jesus like a messenger from heaven. Let's pray. Gracious Father, by the power of your Holy Spirit, we ask that you remind us that our baptisms make us different. Different for you, your kingdom, and your purposes. Take our hearts of stone, as your word tells us, and turn them into hearts of flesh for your purposes. We want to be different for you, Lord. Amen.